she was very careful to project that image. You know, if we asked her about the crimes that she's been accused of, she says that you know, she's a mother and you know, how could she possibly commit any of these crimes? Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Since the start of the war, Russia has abducted tens of thousands of Ukrainian children. These kidnappings have been well documented by Ukrainian authorities and civil society groups. Last March, the International Criminal Court issued arrest warrants for Vladimir Putin and his Children's Affairs Commissioner, Maria Lvova-Bolova, for the, quote, unlawful transfer of children from occupied areas of Ukraine to the Russian Federation. What happens after these children have been abducted is revealed in a new documentary by my guest today, Isabel Young, senior correspondent for Vice News. She reported from both Ukraine and Russia to uncover a system of repurposed summer camps and foster families who have assumed guardianship over abducted Ukrainian children. And she interviews the ringleader of it all, the alleged war criminal Maria Lvova-Bolova. Isabel Young's reporting is absolutely vital and a rare glimpse inside of Russia at a time when most Western reporters have left. I've posted a link to her Vice News documentary in the show notes of this episode. It's well worth your time. And one quick note before we start, if you're a regular listener to Global Dispatches, please take a moment to become a premium subscriber and support our work. We rely on a degree of listener support to keep this show going. So to that end, please visit patreon.com slash global dispatches. Or if you're already on our mailing list, you can become a paid subscriber through Substack. And lastly, if you're listening to me right now on Apple Podcasts, you can get a premium subscription with just a few taps of your finger. I am platform neutral. Whatever is easiest for you is the route you should take, but Please do support the show. Thank you. Now, here is my conversation with Isabel Young of Vice News. So your documentary begins in a bombed out boarding school in Kupyansk, formerly occupied by Russia. What do we know about what happened at the school? This was a boarding school, as you said, in an area in eastern Ukraine in Kupyansk, which had been occupied pretty early on in the war. What we heard from various eyewitnesses was that in September, when kids were back at school, Several Russian soldiers showed up, some wearing balaclavas, all unidentifiable, and they put the children who were at that boarding school onto buses and took them away in deeper into Russian held territory. And many, many months passed until we got there. But at that point, which is I think about eight months after 
the children had been taken without their parents' consent or permission. Some of the parents were still unable to contact their children, had not spoken to them for over eight months and were still trying desperately to get their kids back. This incident at that school in Kupyansk is one of many abductions of children by Russians in Ukraine in the course of this conflict. What do we know about how widespread this phenomenon is? It depends who you talk to, but according to Ukrainian officials, it's over 19,000 children have been taken by the Russians either forcibly or you know, supposedly for a temporary period of time and not returned. And according to the Ukrainians, that's the amount that, I mean, only 371 children have been returned. And so there's still thousands of kids who are caught up in Russia, some of who are still trying to get back. So in this school in Kupyansk, you said that the children ended up just deeper into Russian-held territory in Ukraine. Like, what do we know in general about where children who have been abducted end up in either Russian-occupied Ukraine or in Russia itself? Yeah, so there's various different places that they go. The ones in um, Kupyansk were taken to another boarding school in Russian-held territory where they were you know, taught Russian songs and taught Russian propaganda and found their way very much inside the Russian education system. Some of them are taken to Russian summer camps, which have essentially been kind of repurposed to hold hundreds of Ukrainian children, where, you know, similar activities take place along with, you know, a lot of activities that you'd expect to see in summer camps as well. And then some of them end up in foster families. You know, before the war, there were over 90,000 Ukrainian children who were being held in orphanages or state-run institutions. And some of them still have family members, but a lot of them wound up with Russian foster families. And absolutely incredibly, you were given access to a Russian foster parent and to one of these summer camps that are housing Ukrainian children inside Russia. Why was it, do you think, that the Russian authorities permitted you as a Western journalist to cross into Russia to interview these people? I was very surprised, to be honest, that they did let us in especially given that it was just a few weeks after Evan Gershkovich, the Wall Street Journal reporter, had been arrested and charged with espionage. You know, there's been so much reporting around this topic. And I think that the Russians were keen to essentially take us on a dog and pony show and to tell us that everything is fine and to show their side of the story. And, you know, I'm always down to see both sides of the story and to try and understand what the Russian perspective is on this. So yeah, incredibly, we were permitted access inside one of these so-called summer camps where we found many Ukrainian children, as well as meeting with a Russian foster mother who'd taken in six Ukrainian children or orphans within the last few months, as well as meeting Maria Lavova-Bolova, who's the children's commissioner who's kind of in charge of this campaign in which Ukrainian children have been taken to Russia. And I want to ask you about each of those, because each in their own way are kind of jaw-dropping to watch as you interview, for example, this aspiring actress who is a foster mother to some like dozen Ukrainian children. Like, What were your impressions from meeting her and meeting her supposed foster children? 
Yeah, it was a very, very surreal experience and a surreal day, actually. I mean, this woman who's called Veda Lividanova, we'd seen her on Russian TV stations where, you know, she had been seen crying and very gladly welcoming these Ukrainian children who'd come from war-torn areas into her family. We showed up at her house and she has two houses. She's actually building a huge house to house all these children that she's taken in. And, you know, she gets some financial benefit for doing that. I think she gets about $1,000 a month for each child. You know, she sees it very much as a humanitarian act. She says that, you know, she's seen these children on TV living in a war zone, you know, in what she likely believes is a country, Ukraine, that is flooded with Nazis and that they are much better off in her care. And she is very careful to kind of thread, you know, the line of saying that, you know, this is not stealing these children or, you know, abducting these children in any way. She's just providing a better home for them. And if they ever wished to return to Ukraine, then she would permit that. But it wasn't clear that that would be the case. And in fact, when we asked her very, you know, pointed questions, which we had to be very careful about, given the difficulties in reporting in Russia, she was very careful to kind of avoid those topics. Were you able to track down any of the Ukrainian parents of the children under that foster parents' care? We weren't. And we were able to confirm that these children did come from an orphanage in Ukraine. So we weren't able to get hold of the parents themselves. It may well be that their parental rights had been stripped from them. But no, we weren't able to speak to them. And so we had to kind of speak to the children, which was also tricky given the circumstance that they were in and that they are sort of these pawns in in this war and conflict. So yeah, we unfortunately weren't able to speak to the parents themselves. And can you take us inside these summer camps that many children are taken to? And you know, you reported and you discover that there are a number of these summer camps that have been repurposed for Ukrainian children taken from Russia. And honestly, like watching your documentary, it seems sort of surreal. You have like 20 something year old camp counselors singing songs with them and playing games, but it's all part of this like geopolitical ruse in which they've kidnapped children and and taken them there. Yeah, it was really, really strange. I mean, you know, we'd heard about these camps and we'd heard from Ukrainian parents that they were trying to get their children back and that they weren't able to communicate with them. We'd also heard from Ukrainian children before that they, you know, some had had tried to escape and weren't allowed to. You know, we'd heard rumors of mental and physical abuse happening in some of these camps on rare occasions. But when we got to the camp itself that we were permitted access to, which was just outside of Moscow, it was so surreal. You know, we were hit by buses of these children who had just arrived, who were singing songs about peace and saving the world and instructed by Russian instructors. They all had Russian flags on their sweaters. We were permitted to speak with certain children, not others. And each conversation was very, very heavily monitored by these camp managers and, and also members of FSB. And we were told by these children that they were having a wonderful time and that they had learned so much about Russia and the opportunities that Russia had, and that you know they had you know previously had preconceptions about Russia and Russian people, but you know those had been smashed when they got there, and they all seemed very excited to be there, and that they'd learned a lot and had a great time. But obviously, we were only really hearing 
half the picture. So your reporting in Russia culminates with an interview with Maria Lavova Belova, who is under indictment by the International Criminal Court, and she is the what Children's Affairs Commissioner. Could you just introduce who she is? Yeah, so Maria Lavova Belova is really at the center of this campaign. She's Putin's close ally. She's the Children's Commissioner in charge of, as you said, Children's Affairs in Russia, and. Both her and Putin have been charged by the International Criminal Court and accused of committing war crimes, in her case, for her role in this campaign. In fact, last year, she asked Putin to change the law, which would make it easier for Ukrainian children to be given Russian passports, which obviously makes it easier for Russian families to foster and adopt Ukrainian children even, and harder for Ukrainian family members to take their kids back. She is a very, very divisive character. I mean, if you Look at any media coverage of her internationally, you know, she's slammed as a child snatcher, who's at the, really at the center of this. In Russia, she upholds you know, almost an angelic hero type character. She has fostered many children, including one child, Philip, who comes from Mariupol, which was obviously devastated by Russian bombardment. And his image is now projected all over. Russian TV and used in Russian propaganda, showing what a wonderful home she's provided for him and videos of him calling her mummy. You know, her image is very, very different in Russia. And so when we met her, she was very careful to project that image. You know, if we asked her about the crimes that she's been accused of, she says that you know, she's a mother and, you know, how could she possibly commit any of these crimes? It was very, very difficult to agree on any facts, I'd say, with her. You know, she says that all these kids came voluntarily with their parents' permission or with their relatives themselves. She claims that it was the Ukrainians who wreaked havoc on, on Mariupol and that her new son tells her that, you know, children were trying to escape and it was the Ukrainians who were shooting at them. It's just, you know, sort of parallel realities or parallel universes, I think, that it felt like she was living in. So your reporting makes clear that the abduction of Ukrainian children is not like an ad hoc sort of thing. It's it's rather systematized. You have like the abductions that happen in Russian controlled territory. And then you have like a whole sort of system that Maria Lvova runs to somehow integrate these tens of thousands of kidnapped children into Russian society, either through foster families or through this system of so-called summer camps. Having interviewed Maria Lvova and also having uncovered like the mechanics of this system, what do you discern to be the strategic logic of this? Like, why is Russia doing this on such a systematized basis? I think that there's definitely a propaganda aspect to it. You know, Putin himself has talked about how children are stuck in these terrible conditions in a war zone in Ukraine and are being you know, suppressed by their own country. There's also, in some of these disputed areas, you know, obviously there's an assumption that these children are not Ukrainian, they are Russian, and they should therefore have Russian passports and be living in Russia with Russian families. And you know, these children are quite often used in propaganda videos and on Russian state TV and, and all across Russian media. You know, there's a video of a girl thanking a Russian soldier for saving her life. And she is a child who is or was Ukrainian and is now living in Russia with a Russian foster family. 
So there's definitely that propaganda aspect of it where these children have been, you know, supposedly saved in a massive humanitarian effort, which is led by Putin and Maria Lavogobolova. So, so you suspect it's really all just for domestic political consumption? I definitely think that's a strong element of it, yes. I mean, there is also, you know, we spoke to a young child who was taken to Russian-held territory, and he was talking about how, you know, part of his education was putting on a military uniform, learning military training, as he said. And so there's also a speculation that some of these children, you know, will be swept up into this war effort and themselves could be asked to fight. There's also, you know, some of these children in the Russian summer camp that we visited, you know, they talk about the opportunities in Russia. And this was a big part of the kind of curriculum that they were being taught there, we noticed. They they were taught about the opportunities of universities there and, you know, the career prospects in Russia versus in Ukraine. And that seemed to be a big emphasis on it, which you know, it makes sense. You know, they're trying to replenish their younger population. You know, there has been a big brain drain in Russia. And it is interesting if they are trying to compel young children to go over there and to have their lives in Russia and to make sure that those children are, some would call it brainwashed, some would call it, you know, understanding of Russia and, you know, see a brighter future there versus in Ukraine. And I do want to go back to something you just mentioned, which is that child of about 15 years old who was apparently just kidnapped and put into some sort of military training program for kids. And he was repatriated and reunited with his mom, but he was telling you how he was essentially like abused, like forced to sleep on concrete, fed terrible food, and then forced to put on like a Russian military uniform, learning how to put on like a flak jacket. It was really kind of one of the more harrowing parts of, of the whole documentary in my mind. Yeah, it was really worrying to hear. And he wasn't the first child who had talked about similar experiences. And in fact, we were able to find the school that he went to. We were able to find the website. And from that, we could see images which sort of verified some of the details that he told us where these kids were dressed up in military uniform and they were marching with the Russian flag. So, yeah, I mean... And there has also been accusations from other children, which are impossible to verify, you know, of terrible living conditions in some of these camps, you know, a lack of food, in some cases, beatings if they were not singing the Russian anthem, or if they didn't participate as they were asked to in various activities. So it's disturbing. And on top of that, you know, they are separated from their parents or from family members for months and months on end. And they don't know if or when they'll be reunited. And they're in a country that, you know, they didn't grow up in with what I assume is a significant amount of pressure on them. So your story also centers on a kidnapped child named Nikita and his mom. Could you tell their story? Like what happened with Nikita? What were the circumstances in which he was abducted? Nikita was one of the children who was in the Kupiansk boarding school. And his mother took him to school in September, thinking that everything would be okay, knowing that the school was open. And on September the 8th, he was taken along with 12 other children to Russian held territory. And his mother had been looking for him for 
ages before she was able to locate him. And by the time we met her, it had been over eight months and she still hadn't been able to even speak to him. And she is from a working class background. She has really not traveled outside of that area at all, outside of the town that she's from. And so the thought of trying to find her son in what she assumed was Russia, but she really had no idea, was just felt like a monumentally huge task. And when we met her, you know, she'd been able to connect with the charity Save Ukraine, who had helped get her documents, which she needed. You know, she didn't even have a passport until this point. And then she set off on this massive journey. She had to go through Belarus and Poland and into Russian-held territory. And it was a huge, huge journey, which she was absolutely terrified about making. But, you know, obviously she had to do that to try and get her son back. And speaking to your point that much of this is just for propaganda purposes, you know, Maria Lvova-Bablova and her operation kind of filmed the reuniting of Nikita and Nikita's mom in Russian-held territory as part of evidence that they are not kidnapping children. In fact, they are facilitating the reuniting of mother and child. Yeah, I mean, this is a thing that they persistently say, which is that, you know, they are not abducting Ukrainian children. In fact, they are very welcome to anyone who wants to be reunited with their kids. You know, the Ukrainian mothers that we've spoken to have said that the process has been very difficult. It's been bureaucratic. You know, sometimes when they go over there, they are questioned by the FSB for hours and hours, sometimes days at a time. In fact, there was a grandmother who went over to try and pick up her grandchildren and died along the border once she was in Russian-held territory. And the Ukrainians have said that that's because of her, you know, her heart just gave out and she was under incredible pressure. We haven't been able to verify that, but it seems like a huge, huge ordeal to try and do. And yet on the Russian side of things, you know, they are saying that anyone who wants to pick up their kids can do. Anyone who wishes to leave and go to Russia absolutely can do. We know that in several situations, this has not been the case. So here we are over a year and a half into the conflict. There are you know, tens of thousands of Ukrainian children abducted into Russia or Russian-occupied territory. Like, what's next for these children, do you suppose? I mean, it's, it's hard to say. You know, I suppose for some children could be somewhat of a time limit on it because of sort of a hangover from Soviet times, there have been so many children who have been brought up in state institutions in Ukraine. And so I think those children are most at risk because, you know, they could have been taken into foster families. They could have Russian passports. It's a lot, lot harder for the Ukrainians to try and get those children back, especially if direct parents or direct family members are not involved in that effort. So some of them may well get lost in Russia. And, you know, to be fair to the Russian side and to be fair to the foster mother we spoke to, it's not always bad intentions with that. You know, there are obviously children who may choose to stay in Russia or you know, may have a better family situation or home setting than they would have done in Ukraine. But obviously that's not always the case and it's not a choice for them. And these children are very much caught up in this war machine. There are obviously, you know, still parents trying to retrieve their children, which is a very long and laborious and bureaucratic effort to do so. I hope and I know that many of them will be able to get them back. 
And there are charities like Save Ukraine and others that are working to help them and to try and speed up that process. One of the more remarkable things about your documentary is just like the fact that you were able to access Russian territory. And you mentioned earlier that it happened you know, not long after the arrest of Evan Gershkovich, the Wall Street Journal reporter, having been inside Russia for as long as you did doing really, you know, contentious reporting, what did you learn about the media environment in Russia right now? Yeah, I mean, it's very, very difficult, particularly for Russian journalists to be reporting accurate information in Russia right now. But also, yeah, I mean, after Evan Gershkovich was arrested, most, if not all, American reporters left Russia at that point. And Russia, since the start of the war, has massively cracked down on media. You know, there were jail terms of up to 15 years for people who are accused of reporting fake information. And so it is extremely difficult and you're constantly having to thread that line. And for us, you know, we knew that we were being very closely monitored. We were being watched at all times. We were being listened to. We did have to be very careful about what we were saying and what we were doing and where we were going because of the risks of reporting there at the moment. Isabel, thank you so much. Really incredible reporting. I I strongly encourage everyone to check out the documentary on Vice. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts. <music>